So much of the time in in modern religiosity where most people are spiritual but not religious, we look to the spiritual texts of the particular religion or the faith that is being taught and we're looking for these highfalutin kind of precepts, right? These high-minded ideas of how to live. And oftentimes then when people either who have come out of Christianity or who engage with Christianity in some way begin to encounter the Bible, our holy book, they're very confused many times because it isn't just, you don't just open it up and go, oh, man, I just feel so good now, right? Oh, now, now I understand the answer to my question. Now, there are some people who, you know, that's, they believe that that's what happens to them. They pray to God, they open the Bible, they read something, and then they you know, they think they've got an answer to their prayer. And God bless them. I'm glad that that works for them. That never works for me. Usually when I pray like that, and, and then I go to the scripture, I'm more confused than I ever was before. But that may say something more about me and my relationship with God than what it does for you. So I just, I want to leave that where it is. So here's the thing, as we, before we get into sort of these big concepts of what's going on in this scripture passage, Here, that it gets located in a time and in a place. In the year that King Uzziah died, this scripture and this event happens in a time and a place and in a location, right? The Israelites have been very unfaithful to God. Isaiah says that later, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, Exile is coming. They're getting ready, or they will, in in the very near future, make some allegiances and some alliances that are great in the short term, but in the long term cause the downfall of Judah. And so that's all located here within this scripture passage and within this call story of Isaiah And so, remember what I said about the temple earlier. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty. God, for us, is still often a mystery. And especially for Presbyterians, we really have this sense that God is very unknowable. That even as much as we might know and the way that our minds can discern the things that we can learn from Scripture, that God's ways are not our ways. And so it's interesting here. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty and the hem of his robe filled the temple. But Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. And so for someone like him, because Moses really taught them, if you see God, you're going to die. You're done. You're ashes. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You're done. you're, You're poof. Because God is so holy, God is so set apart from humanity in the holiness of God that God cannot be seen by human eyes without the death of the human being. And so in some ways it's really a small miracle that Isaiah then has this encounter where Isaiah sees the Lord on this throne And you also need to understand, I didn't talk about this earlier, that in a sense, the temple was like a microcosm of the universe. 
God had God's place, but the larger temple area, not the Holy of Holies, but the larger temple area was sort of a metaphor for all of creation. And so the hem of his robe filled the temple. The hem of his robe is a metaphor for the glory of God. So in some sense, Isaiah is saying here, I saw, I, I saw, I had this, I had this amazing opportunity. I saw God in God's holy of holies sitting on the throne. Backstory, I didn't die yet. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, filled all things. There's this sense in this encounter with God that Isaiah gets this understanding that the glory of God is present in all of creation. Is present in all of creation. And then he talks about the seraphs that are there in attendance above him. Each had six wings, and with two they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they called to one another. And we think about the seraphs, or we think about, you know, cherubs or something, and how there are these cute little baby things flying around. No, these were terrifying angels. They're powerful. They guard the throne room. In this thinking. In much of the scripture, they carry flaming swords. Right? In most of the scripture, when people encounter angels or seraphs, they freak out. Right? And the angels say, fear not, because they are fearsome things. These heavenly, holy, set-apart beings are so foreign to us that they are not, they're not something, like, oh, how cute. Like, Literally, oh my God. And that holiness then reveals to Isaiah and I think to us how we are and who we are. But before that, in this passage, they are singing and saying to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. Again, reiterating the hem of his robe, the earth is full of God's glory. Here it is. Even though the ancient people believed that God resided with the Ark of the Covenant and in the temple, here is this idea that God is present. God's glory is present in all of creation. And we believe that this thrice repeating of holy is somewhat of a precursor or a foundational beginning of the understanding of the way that we experience God as the Trinity, as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Many times in the Old Testament, you will hear it and you will hear it here at the very end. Who will we send for us? In many places, it says we made them in our image. These are foundational pieces for the way that we experience God in terms of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've heard me talk about these before, that we maybe we shouldn't be called Christians, maybe we should be called Trinitarians. We don't believe that God is a monad, a single entity, but we believe that God is one. But that we experience that God as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that it is a mystery of which we ought to seek to have understanding, but we're going to have things revealed to us at all times, and probably most of the time we're going to get it wrong. But it is a beautiful 
a beautiful understanding of who God is because it reveals to us God's holiness and God's love and care for us as we experience Jesus and God's continuing and sustaining power for us through the Holy Spirit. And that there is this dance that goes on within God's self that never ends. This creating and sustaining and this loving and being loved that goes on and on and on. And so we understand God as holy and separate, but yet we have this also this understanding of God's glory being with us and accessible to us. And so there's just this wonderful, beautiful dynamic as we think about the Holy Trinity And how Isaiah experiences it in its fullness here as the seraphs sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is called the Sanctus. And in most Christian traditions, we don't do it all the time. We do it sometimes. The Sanctus is sung or said during Holy Communion. A reminder of the holiness of God, but of this this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this Trinity. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So this is a, you know, I mean, this is a rave, people. Like, this is crazy, but he's not having a lot of fun. There's not, there's not that kind of music going on. He's freaking out, and he says, what? Woe is me, I am lost. When you experience God's holiness, when you really get it, how pure God is and how pure God's love is for you and for all of creation, the first response, I think, is, I am not worthy. I am not worthy. I don't know if you've ever felt that kind of love with another human being or that kind of care with another human being, but I'll just say there have definitely been times over 29 years of marriage where I've done something really stupid. And Jennifer loves me in such a way that I realize I'm, I'm really not worthy of that love, but she still loves me. It's akin to this love that God has for us. It's not the same thing. But I hope that you've had that experience at some time, that someone has loved you just for you, Maybe even in spite of the stupid stuff that you've done or that you're doing, <laughs> cares for you. And, and they don't let you get away with stuff, but they do that. But this is, this is the kind of thing, the kind of love that God has for you. It is so powerful that it causes us to look inside ourselves and see, see the ways that we are not worthy of that love. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. When we encounter God's holiness and God's call upon our lives, we begin to look around at the world in a different way and we see more clearly the way our world is broken. Not because we're somehow righteous and we're getting it right, but because we are right there in the midst of it with culture. We play a part because we are a part of this creation and we have to own that for ourselves and for our communities, for our countries. And so when we confess and when we lament the ways that people have been treated in our country... Did you know that there were over 6 million Native Americans? Well, they wouldn't have been called Americans then, but Native people in 
this part of the northern hemisphere. Six million of them before Columbus discovered America. Not very many years later, there were 250,000 natives. If that doesn't stop you just for a minute to think about the loss of life that is very much akin to what happened in the Holocaust. If it doesn't stop you to think about the ways that people from Africa were treated as they were shipped over here and sold and the way that we've often treated people of color ever since, the internment of Japanese during World War II, if those things don't cause you to stop and to lament, then perhaps we all need to have our hearts checked a little bit. But we lament those things because we realize that we too are capable of those kinds of things. Because when we encounter the holiness of God, we see clearly for ourselves the ways that we are not like God. And we can lament those things and we can, we can talk honestly about those things. Not pointing fingers at other people. Well, you're the ones who are doing it wrong. You're the ones who are doing it wrong. You're the ones who are doing it wrong. But to say, we need to do something different and better because we are called to be different and better. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, Isaiah says, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. Who's been to a branding? Anybody here been to a branding? Oh my gosh. The smell is lovely. (laughs) Burning hair and flesh. I mean, it's just something that you get used to when you grow up on the farm and that's how you mark animals. Right? Live coals, you're putting these irons literally in the fire and then pressing them onto the flesh. It's a smell you'll never forget. The seraph touched my mouth with this live coal that came from the altar. So remember now, these live coals, these are offerings of honor to God, right? So in some ways, this is some sort of a holy fire. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. You see, this experience with God, this experience with God's holiness and otherness, this experience of understanding how broken we are is not the end of the story. Hot coals and holiness then change us. An encounter with God does not leave us the same. And I think that's why so many people are so afraid of having a true encounter with God because none of us want to change. You know, we always talk about that nobody likes to change except for a baby. Most babies don't want their diapers changed. They'd rather just walk around in them. We're sort of the same way. Well, it's uncomfortable, but I'm just, you know, it's all right. Right? But to have an experience with God is to be changed. And then that experience with God is to be called into a way of life that is generally different from what we've known. 
because we've recognized our sin. And that's why we Presbyterians make that confession of sin almost every Sunday. It's just to remind our, not to beat ourselves up, but to remind ourselves of our relationship to God, that God is God and we are not, and that we can confess our sins, and that God, through his Son, has given us this freedom from our sins, that we can acknowledge it, it no longer binds us to a way of being that is harmful and hurtful, that we can be set free to do the hard things, to be changed, and to seek to change in the way that people are treated and the, and the way our culture works and the things that we actually worship because we now worship the one and the holy God. And I love this because in a sense, Isaiah, Isaiah is the metaphor for all of Israel. Because he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm among a people of unclean lips and God cleanses him and blots his sin out and in a sense is saying, I'm blotting the sin out of Israel, but you need to go tell them that they're screwed up. <laughs> This is the task that I'm putting you to. This call is not into some lovely, wonderful situation. The experience with God, as hard as it is, often calls us into ways of being in places that are more difficult than what we've ever had before. And that's what happens with Isaiah. He has to go to his own people and tell them, we've screwed up and we're going to be in exile. These allegiances that we're going to make are going to hurt us, not help us. And people aren't going to listen. That's why the role of a prophet is people think, oh, I want to be a prophet. No, you don't. Nobody likes prophets, really. We like them in retrospect. But we are all called, in a sense, in our own lives to a life of prophecy, but in our own lives to a life of ministry, whatever it is that God is calling us into, Knowing God changes us. These hot coals and God's holiness lead us into a new life. But we're not out there on our own because we don't believe that God just resides on the table or in the temple. We believe that God, through God's Holy Spirit, is working in and through and with us and with all people at all times. And so we have great hope that even when things look bad after the kings die, after we are exiled, when it feels like everything is going wrong, that God is still holy. And that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are still the lover and the beloved and love itself encircling us and dancing with us in this life. So may you have an experience with God. May it change you. And whatever circumstance you are in, may you know that God and God's Spirit is with you always. Amen.